Okay, this morning, we're just going along the line still. Still want to lay the, uh, the groundwork, the, uh, the foundation of when we talk about the two seeds of the women, two different seeds, and again, we'll get into that I, as God leads us all together, and the two heads as a result of that. And I wanted to share uh, certain scriptures on that, and we will, and we're going we're gonna to see that. But this morning, I'm going to be reading from Luke, the 15th chapter, Luke 15. And these are parables, and the, the word parable is, is what we have, at, and para means beside, to throw beside, and what Jesus would do when he would teach parables he would teach, he would use creation, he would use physical, material things uh, and throw beside that, beside teaching, so that we could get an understanding. So he spoke in parables. Now, we as the church in the dispensation of grace have far more understanding and a depth of understanding of the scriptures than any parable would ever reveal or anything like that. But we do have the truth of, of who we are in Christ. But we can still, as those that are in Christ and our position in him, we can look back and we can glean things and a greater understanding of the scriptures, even the old types and all of that. So we're going to read, but we're going to see how some of th these principles are a foundational truth but brought out in a much clearer way that we have in Christ. So in Luke, the 15th chapter, and I'm going to read, I'm going to start reading from the 11th verse. Now in Luke 15, verse 11, it says this, And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me that belong to me. And he divided unto them his living. Notice it was his living. It was an inheritance, but the father was of the father, but he was giving it to the son. And not many days after. So notice this first. First thing you want to notice is he's, he's made a request from his father. His father has given that request to him. He already has what is requested of him. What he requested of the Father, he has it. But now look at this. In verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He began to lack. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. Now, fields, we see in Matthew, the 13th chapter, it just refers to the world system under the influence of Satan, who for a time is the God of this world in many, many scriptures, which we won't go into right now. And then swine to feed the swine. And he would fain have filled, he deeply desired to fill his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. And look, and no man 
gave unto him. This is Luke, the 15th chapter. And when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's house, of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I am perishing with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, say unto him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you, and am no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. What was he doing? He was looking at how the father would think about him in his own thoughts. And that created a great amount of distance. He wasn't approaching the father on his thoughts, but we're going to get the father's thoughts towards the son. And he's in his rags at this particular time. And his father, he said unto the father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no more worthy to be called your son. But separated from that, the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe. This is a picture of Jesus Christ and put it on him. This goes into Ephesians 4, 20 to 24. Put it on him and put a ring on his hand, eternity, the, the eternity, and shoes on his feet so he understands and walks in a proper walk in Ephesians 6, 15. And bring forth a fatted calf, the very best, and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, spiritually separated, Still a son, but spiritually separated, and is alive again. He's experienced in the life that's his. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. He was lost. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to who? Them that are lost, in whom the God of this world blinded the minds of them, which refused to believe, which once did believe certain truths, and no longer function in them. Here's what it says. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field. Notice that? He was in the field. And he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what, What's going on? What are these things? What do they mean? And he said unto him, Your brother has come. Your father has killed a fatted calf, because you have received him safe and sound. That's our position in Christ. Even... Thank, uh, you know, uh, hopefully we don't sin, but when we do in 1 John 1, 9, we confess it. But sin never touches our relationship with God, but it certainly interferes with and intercepts intimacy and communion and fellowship with Christ, thereby losing the sense of the Father that we've gained through Christ. And so he was angry, it says, and he was angry. Imagine, he was angry because his brother that was lost was found. He became angry. He became angry. The servant was revealing the truth of the father's heart to him, and he became angry at that. He became angry, and would not go in. He refused to go in. Therefore came his father out. <laughs> Always taking the initiation. God is always taking the initiation towards us. And he entreated him. 
And he answering said to his father, These many years I did serve you, and I never transgressed at any time any of what you desired in your commandments or what you told me to do, and yet you never gave me a kid fatted calf, that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this your son was come, which has devoured your living with harlots, you have killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, you are ever with me, and all that I have is yours. It was me that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead spiritually and is alive again, was lost and is found. Now, here's the principles that this, that this is bringing out. And we want to make this clear, too. This has to do with our proper understanding. And I want to read this particular scripture. I'm going to read here in Galatians 3. And we're not going to go into that just yet. Not till uh, possibly uh, in the week, in the, in the few days that are coming. This is Galatians 3, verse 1. Now, this is the... This is the Apostle Paul, but the Holy Spirit is speaking through him, and this is what he says. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's fascinated you? Who's bewitched you? Who's cast you under a spell? And they're born again. That you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. In other words, the teaching that Paul taught them was bringing before the reality of a crucified Christ towards them, teaching them Galatians 6 and verse 14, as opposed to 6, verse 12. Now, with that, with Galatians 3, verse 1, this is what we want to read here. And I'll read these scriptures. This is 2 Peter 2 and verse 15. And you can read the verses that are around it, but this is what it says in 2 Peter 2, 15, which have forsaken the right way, Can a believer do that? Having known truth and then forsake it. Which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray. The word astray is plainy in the Greek, how we spell our English word plain. It's a long E, it's plainy. Be led astray. Okay? And they're led astray. And what happens to them? Look at what it says in verse 14. uh, Having eyes full of adultery, and that cannot cease from sin, beguiling unstable souls, untaught souls, right? A heart have they exercised with covetous practices, cursed children, which have forsaken the right way and are gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Boor, of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Notice that? Now, if you want to know what Peter's through the Holy Spirit's talking about, you have to go back to Numbers, the 22nd chapter. Because there, Balaam was getting in the, was, who was in the way of Balaam? And what was going on there? There was a man there who was trying to get the man of God to serve him in sin and to curse God's people. By how he wanted him to behave in sin. And of course, he, he refused. There was refusal. And then we get the story of then when God couldn't use that man of God anymore, what did he use? He used the donkey <laughs> and had to speak through him. Now, also it says this, because this, 
This we're going to be getting into, but this, this right here, the story of the prodigal goes deep into these truths. Now, this is 2 Peter 3, 2 Peter 3, verse 16, it says, And also in all his epistles, he's speaking of the Apostle Paul, okay, speaking in them of these things to which are some things hard to understand. Hard to understand. Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, twist, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You therefore, beloved, that's all of us who we are in Christ, seeing you know these things before, Beware, lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, the plainy, the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. And that can happen to Christians. But grow, separated from that, but continually grow in the grace and in the knowledge of, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Now back to the what we just read in Luke, the 15th chapter. And here's what God would teach us, all of us, this morning. That without a true understanding, a true understanding of sin, its very depth, and where it reaches, there can be no true experiential understanding. Just can't be. But it's only through receiving His grace and truth. Now, what this means then is you and you and I as believers, of necessity, this requires the function and action and power of God the Holy Spirit, who will take the things of Christ in John 16, 13, and 14 and show them unto us. But in our dispensation, this church age that we're in, he never does that outside of what he has established as a local assembly. That's crystal clear. And again, in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, and Ephesians, the 4th chapter. He makes it very clear with the preponderance of the Scriptures. Now, what he says, again, in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 9, and I'll read that. In verse 4, it says, "...in my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit," in other words, under the Spirit and under His power, and that power that the Spirit brings into us experientially is the power that Christ is Himself. With that power comes wisdom in 1 Corinthians 1 and 24. And it says here that your faith, your absolute dependence, should not stand in the wisdom of men, separated from Christ, but in the power of God. Howbeit we speak wisdom among them that are complete, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that we can function under, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory in Christ, which none of the princes of this world knew. None of those men and none of those functioning under the prince and power of the air ever, ever knew, because why? Which none of them, because if they had known it, look, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But, as it is written, this is Isaiah 64 and verse 4, this is Isaiah 65 and verse 17, the Holy Spirit had the Apostle Paul take those two verses and bring out this full reality for us 
as believers in this dispensation of grace, the church age. They, no, they didn't know it. But as it is written, I, natural I, has not seen, nor ear heard, understanding. Neither has entered into the heart, the very mind of man, the things which God has, past tense and eternity, prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knows no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world. Where did the prodigal go when he left the Father's house? Where was the only place he could go? Right back into the world. Where can the Christian go? And we'll see this. The only other place the Christian can go when they don't function experientially and who they are in Christ is in the world functioning under. Can never be possessed, but can they be in Psalm 62 verse 10, oppressed? Most certainly for, for any of us. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely of his grace given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teaches, but with the Holy, with which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And again, in Isaiah 28, 10 to 13, you will see how that correlates with that in, in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13. But separated from this, listen to this, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. You hear certain things. You hear things taught from the Word of God, a local assembly. You hear them. Some might tell you that. That's foolishness. I tell you, do not listen to that. I want to make that very clear with all of us this morning. Do not listen to that, okay? Now, again, the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. They're foolishness unto him even when you give the facts. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned, but he that is spiritual discerns, not judges. The word is discerns all things. But he himself is discerned of no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But, but believers, you know what? We do have the mind of Christ. You know, again, we've said before, the two epistles of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, and especially in the first epistle, of 1 Corinthians, there are three classifications of people as far as God's concerned right now. There's the natural man, unsaved. There's the carnal man, the Christian, who lives in the world still, functions under it, ignorantly or rebelliously. And then there's the man in Christ, totally different. Now, Luke 15 11 to 32 is called the pearl. Many have said this, many men that I've studied in the past, and they call this the pearl and crown of the parables of Scripture because there is abundant teaching, but we will never understand what is even being taught here in the synoptics, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and also the, the Gospel of John without understanding foundational truth about who we are in Christ. But we can by God's grace. They call it the evangelium in evangelio, and it's the gospel within the gospel. 
the gospel within the gospel. Here was the point of departure. What did the son do? He left the father's house. In his mind, had he already left before he crossed the threshold? Yes, he did. Thought precedes action. Thought force precedes actions. Thoughts, what are words but a vehicle for thought? Now, that was what? Here in the prodigal's life was the point of departure. The point of departure is the first and main step of evil. When we depart God, James 4, 17, to him that knows to do good, does it not? To him it is what? Sin. Who do we sin against? In Psalm 51 and verse 4. God is sin that we function in, still evil, even though we're not of it, but can we function under it? We can, as soon as we depart. When we depart, there is the enemy, Satan, looking to obsess us, capture our will experientially, and do all kinds of damage. Now, that's it. Man, man, the natural man, and even the carnal Christian. See, we'll never be natural again, but we certainly can be carnal. Read, you can read it again in 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, and read it all the way through to certain verses, and read Hebrews, the fifth chapter, verses 13 to 15, to understand how a believer can function in carnality with even known truth, but yet not experienced because the will hasn't been submitted. Watch. Man's mis- man, what does he do? What do we do? He mistakes. Did you know what mistake means? To mistake? You miss something that's right and you take something else that's wrong. Mistake. Man's mis- man mistakes more than anything in what the true nature of sin consists of. Did you know that? The enemy wants us to interpret sin by our own understanding. That's what he does. But only God could do that. And it was brought out on the cross, even prior to it, the intensity of the suffering of Christ. We, there's two things we will never know without him. The depth and ruin and evil of sin know who we are in Christ. And boy, when we don't have the proper teaching from a local assembly, which is God's absolute pattern in the scriptures, the Pauline epistles, where the church began in Acts, the second chapter, all the way through, then we just wander and become very lost in our thinking and open ourselves up to all kinds of influences. This is the reason why it says, even Paul, in his day, if it was in his day in 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, he said, some will depart from the faith. The faith is all the teachings about the person and the accomplishment of the work of Christ. Some will depart from the faith. What happens? Forgetting God, forgetting these truths. What happens? Giving heed giving yourself over to seducing spirits and doctrines that demons teach. That's what it says. We are in the time, in our time right now, in 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And you can look at that. Look at it from verse 1 all the way to verse 13. Now, here it is. Again, what do they do? Men measure sin. Unsaved? Saves, but carnal Christians, watch, 
And, and that can happen to any of us at any time because we have the flesh in us in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it, thank God. Man measures sin by themselves instead of by God. Declarative knowledge is, listen, it, knowledge is, is great, but it should always lead to an experiential, intimate communion with Christ because when we forget that, knowledge is useless. Not, we'll use it to defend the flesh our certain position about things that we believe to be true. Why? Men measure sin, saved or carnal. Sin by themselves instead of by God. The desire to have our own way at a distance, and this is what the prodigal desired, a distance. And when you and I as believers function apart from Jesus Christ, what are we? He's removed. Christ is removed experientially. And listen, something else will take its place. The enemy just waiting. Christ is removed. But the desire to have our own way at a distance from God is positive sin and the root of all other sin. Sin against man is sure to follow. But sin against God is the mainspring. No question about it. What more evident denial of him in works than to prefer our own will to his? That's what sin is. My will, not yours. My own private interpretation through the flesh, not yours, God. Not yours. Well, here it is. Why? Why? Because we want our own will. The younger son represents all who have widely departed from God. Are they family? In this sense, was he born of his father? That's right. Are we born again? Yes. But did he depart from him? What caused him to depart? His own will. And with his own will, he will interpret himself. And he would even interpret God. He would even interpret his father. Because remember, his whole way back, he was interpreting his father based upon his thoughts, not his father's thoughts. That's why distance is so very dangerous to us. That's why the flesh in the Christian is such a danger to be able to interpret what they or any of us believe to be what would be life in a walk with God. Well, the youngest son represents all who've widely departed from God. And having, in a consequence, experienced misery. They have, like the prodigal, by, but, but by his grace, like the prodigal, he's been back, back, and we have been brought back to God, thank God. He brings us back. How? By confession. 1 John 1, 9. And even that is of God to bring us back. Even that involves his anticipated love and his pervenient grace. Pervenient grace, again, is the grace that he operates in towards me to get me back into a place where I will passively receive that grace because grace in the New Testament is passive. We don't do anything to deserve it. But the minute we receive it, we begin to participate with God's thoughts about himself and God's thoughts about us in Christ. Now, when this happens... What a difference. What a tremendous difference. Wow. Instead of having that misery to be our experience, the grace and truth about who we are in Christ and a proper image. 
We've all been brought back, haven't we? How many times? But while in the elder brother, what's revealed? A narrow, narrow means no room for anyone else. A narrow form. 2 Timothy 3, 5. They have a form of godliness. Can a Christian have some form of godliness, but still deny the power of Christ in their experience? Yes, they can, and we can. Thank God we always need to be brought back. Thank God for the word, and and I am thankful with you this morning. But what do we see? We see, again, in in the elder brother, there's a, a, a narrow, no room for anyone else form of real righteousness or one righteous in his own sight, but not in the Lord's. Was the eldest son righteous in his attitude towards the father first and towards the son? Because who was he angry at first? His father. Why? Because he accepted the son by grace. This speaks of the legalist. Today we call that covenant theology and in some form, lordship salvation. That's what we see. Well, listen, here's where it is. One that was righteous in his own sight, but not in the Lord's. These parables were spoken by Jesus to justify his conduct, his behavior, receiving these publicans and sinners. Watch what the Amplified talks about that. He receives especially wicked sinners and how it goes on to explain that. But who? He, he was receiving these publicans and sinners right in the face of the legalists of the day, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes, who were Jews and not what? They were never, could never unfold that deeper mystery, which was what? That God calling even the Gentiles. Well, again, that became a stumbling block. What becomes a stumbling block in the believer? We're in Christ, aren't we? We're of him. But are we in the flesh, even though the flesh is in us? Is that how God sees us? He doesn't. What causes the stumbling block? Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they that love your word, your law. And nothing will cause you to stumble. Nothing at all will cause you to stumble. And so here it is, a stumbling block, even to them, to the Jews, by, God, by Christ acting in grace. Well, what was, what, why do we need grace? Because it's his love that flows through it. So the portion here, according to the Jewish law, that's what the younger son was asking his father for. But according to the Jewish law, it would be half of what the elder brother would receive. You know why he was so angry, right? Because the elder brother was first to receive his inheritance. The younger would only receive half the amount. And boy, was he angry because the father acted in pure grace regardless of the condition of that prodigal by the time he got back. Well, again, we see this. So in a spiritual sense, we see that this request of that younger one was an expression of man's desire to be independent of God, of his desire to be in control of his own life, like so many. God, I I don't understand it. 
I mean, I just don't, I don't understand. God, thank God for the word this morning. God, I don't, I, I just don't understand it at all. <sighs> well, it's just a, a, his, his desire. The flesh's desire to be independent of God. The flesh's desire to be in control of its own life by its own ability and by what its hand could do and accomplish. Believing that he, without God, can be the fountain of blessedness, his own blessedness, his own joy. That he, the prodigal, or any believer in the flesh, could create our own happiness by and to the self-life outside of Christ. All sins that follow that, the point of departure, my will, not yours, all sins, what do they do? They follow that. They follow and are included in that one sin, departure from God. I don't want to hear it. And if I don't know a certain truth, I don't want to hear it from someone else. I want to do it all by myself. And, you know, until I can figure it out myself, don't follow that one that's teaching you. Be aware. Beware, please. Please beware. And I'll be aware with you. So, here it is, that, that his desire, independent of God, he relies on his own ability. And that one sin, that's why Jesus said, and why he taught in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. Listen, folks, he wasn't just talking about, he was talking about way more than the material things that occupy us in a predominant way. He was talking about the word because he said in Matthew 4, 4 and Luke 4, 4, based upon Deuteronomy 8, 3, man will, will not experience life by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. It just precedes it. Well, here it is again. So, what do we see? Everything, give us this day our daily bread. The word of God coming and hearing it as, as often as we can. God knows when we can and when we can't. And that's, that's him. It is opposed and instead of the word of God. And the enemy will use the details of life, read Matthew the sixth chapter, to be the reason why we don't come and hear the word of God. Something else has occupied me. Something else has taken me away. Something else has captured me. It's something that the enemy's given me. Even the blessings that God means to give us from the material blessings, when my will isn't submitted to Christ, the enemy can use those things to draw us right away from God and forget him in a heartbeat, any of us, any of us. But what are we to acknowledge? We are to acknowledge. What are we to acknowledge? And what is a true desire? It's his will, God's will. God's provision, God's timing. Why don't some come to hear the word? Because they're occupied in their own mind with their own will about their own timing and their own provision based upon their own will. That becomes more important than God. Much more. And upon, instead of waiting upon God for the supply of our bodily and spiritual needs, something else takes its place. It's called the will of man. The will of man even though he may have a free will, does not experience freedom until submitted to Christ. The only thing that can be the experience of a will 
still free to make choices, but can make bad ones, is the result outside of Christ is absolute misery. <laughs> Reaping what you sow, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. You reap what you sow. Now, as we begin to close in on this, we need to rely on him constantly. Because this is what Galatians, the third chapter, is bringing out. And we're going to be bringing this out in detail. That a believer that is bewitched, a believer, because Paul was speaking through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit through Paul was speaking to Galatian believers, truth that they had known. A believer can function under a spell, bewitched, come under the influence of the atmosphere, so that he or she can lose the grasp of the truth that they once held and experienced. And then their mind and their emotions become overtaken and have become clouded by error. We read about error in 2 Peter 2.15 and in 2 Peter 3, verse 17. Error of the wicked, the wicked one. Error affects people in this way. Listen, folks. Error, private interpretation of the scriptures, error affects Christians. It's okay for me to do this. It's okay for me to live in... When did God ever allow any single one of us, me or any of us, when did he ever give us grace to live in disobedience? Did he ever do that one time? No. God doesn't give the grace and truth that his son is for us to live in our own will. He never does that. Never. So once, once converted truths... Once converted truly, and we are. Remember what Jesus said to Paul? He said uh, to uh, Peter, I should say, in, second, uh, in, in Luke 22, verses 30 and 31 and 32. He said to him, to a believer, he said, Simon, Simon, I want your attention. Listen to me. Satan has desired you that he may put you in his sieve and violently shake you. But I have prayed for you that your faith, your absolute dependence upon the teachings, the experiential reality, not just declarative knowledge, about the truths about the person of Christ and what he's accomplished. I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. He didn't pray that Peter would not fail. He knew he would. He prayed that his absolute dependence on those truths that he was once would be converted to. He says, I prayed for you. And then he said in 32, when you are converted, and only when you converted, and conversion means the submission of my will to God's will through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you will strengthen. Then you're operating in the grace of God towards your brethren. Otherwise, you're not. You're going to lead them astray. You're going to tell them certain things are okay. Certain things are okay. Or we might adjust. Let me, let me privately adjust what was taught. I say to you, I say to the folks here, those that are listening, do not give ear to that. I'm going to make that crystal clear. Okay? Crystal, crystal clear. Because once converted truly, and to have begun, 
through a clear, precise understanding of knowledge of the saving grace and truth of Jesus Christ. They can be failure to follow on to the word. You know, men, they fail Christians, and we've all done that, but thank God we're not our failure. Fail, fail to follow on to know the truth, to study the word, to study it, and then to pray over it. You know, Luke 18, 1, how often should men pray? Which prayer always teaches dependence, always teaches that. Men should what? Always pray, result, and never faint. What is faint? To fall back right into the world system. To fall back and get, get under Christians. Paul's saying, listen, you were taught. I, I taught you Christ. It was like a portraiture of Christ living and everything that he did for you. And you received it. What happened to you? You're like, now you're like someone under the spell of an at, the atmosphere. You're acting just like unsaved people. The unsaved will look at you and see no difference. And you may declare to them the truth, but your conduct belies the declarative knowledge that you say. Well, here it is. We need to pray over it. Not only to study, not only, literally. Matthew 6, 33, seek you first the kingdom of God. What's that mean? The rule of Christ over you. Then all these other things will be added unto you. Oh no, it's going to be all these other things and when it's convenient, when I think it's right, I'll interpret the word grace, Christ. Then, and, and how will we do that? Dis at a distance from God. When we're at a distance from God, who do we come under? Is any man in control of himself? Any of us, at any time? No. He never left it up to us in Matthew 6 and verse 24. So, what happens when, when we withdraw from the light of his presence? What happens? Experientially, darkness comes in. Well, who's the prince and power of the darkness? Well, we see in, in, as we close in Luke 15, verse 12, and the younger of them said to his father, give me, give me the portion of, you, of the goods that fall to me. Give me my half ahead of the elder brother. Do you think the father knew what he would do with that? Do you think the father was waiting as soon as he crossed that threshold? Do you think the father was waiting for him to come back every single day, every single moment, just like God for us? Lost truth that was once experienced, and now the behavior, the conduct, is just like the world. Oh, Lord forbid, and he does. In Galatians 6, verse 14, God forbid that I should glory only, but only in the cross of Jesus Christ, who crucified everything about the old, but he crucified the world system and the world unto us. It wouldn't have profited the son for the father to keep him in the house, because he knew he was going to leave. It wouldn't have profited him. And like God allows Christians to go out, proper teaching, a proper local assembly, just go out and wander and privately interpret the scriptures and never grow, ever, ever grow in the experience of a love that will never let us go. Well, well why did the father let him go? Because, the, the, because what? Because the son was operating as a stranger right in the father's house. Familiarity from the son 
would have been sentimentality for the father to keep him there. He was familiar with his father, his love, all those truths about Christ. It would have been. So God deals with us. How? According, accordingly what? How does he, God deal with us? According to our will. Is my will submitted to Christ? That's how he deals with me. What happens when it's not? He still in love deals with us. He has to allow at times for Christians as we close this little portion here, but he has to allow Christians when they refuse grace, when they refuse to be taught, or when they refuse to, be, to, to have truth that they don't know taught them, but refuse others that would teach it, he has to allow them to wander, go into the world system, and their own, in Jeremiah 2 and verse 19, their own backsliding has to correct them. I know what learning backsliding, apart from grace, does to me. You know what I would much rather have? His grace. <laughs> And when I don't even, there's the anticipative love and the prevenient grace of the father towards, towards the younger son. He knew what he needed to do. He knew, he knew that he wasn't receiving grace and truth, so he had to allow his own will, in a sense, to backslide to teach him. Oh, what a hard teacher that is, isn't it? To learn that way. To learn that way. Listen, we not only learn, folks, body of Christ, believers in a local assembly, we not only learn the things about who we are in Christ and our own individuality, but then we take them out and it doesn't change in our relationship to each other. It just doesn't change. And nothing about us is like the world at all. But even God's loving chastisement, and it's loving chastisement, in Hebrews the 12th chapter, verses 4, right to the end of verse 29, and in Proverbs 3, uh, 10, 11, and 12, 11 and 12 especially, he, he receives and disciplines every single son that he loves. And when we don't like that discipline, or when we don't like the areas, when we choose the pleasures of sin, read Hebrews the 11th chapter, start at verse 22, go to verse 27 about Moses. He refused to be called the child of Pharaoh, functioning under the enemy in the world system. He refused the pleasures of sin. Do you know pleasures? The pleasures of sin. Pleasures. Occupied pleasure. Read 2 Timothy 3, 1, 2, and 3. They love pleasures more than than lovers of God. Folks, listen. We're not an earthly people. We're a heavenly people. That's who we are. That's who we... Listen, fellowship is around Christ. You know that you have fellowship if it's Christ between you two. If it isn't, it's not of God. That doesn't mean that we can't participate in other things, but we never lose the experience of a depth of intimate fellowship with him that we exchange with each other because otherwise it's, it's just the world. It's just functioning in the world and we can all do that. But thank God for grace. Thank God for truly who we are in a proper image. You see, and we're going to close. The son being in the world who was born of the father in that type, in that parable. He was born. He was in the family. But he began functioning in the world, and the world was dictating to him, teaching him, teaching him what his image was, falsely. 
falsely. And so even after knowing the love of the Father, the truth about who he was in the Father's thought life and in his love, when he went into the world, he became, became, began, began functioning under that. Why? He was mixing himself with those of the world. That's what he was doing. And that became his own image. And the false image he had in his mind was what was leading him in those thoughts. I'm not worthy anymore. Listen, when we fail, and we all do, but thank God for 1 John 1, 9. When we fail, thank God in Romans 7, 17 and 20, we're not our failure, we are not our sin. But thank God for this reality. Thank God for the reality. The question that the enemy, when we fail, the question that he tries to form in our minds and in our false image is that you aren't worthy anymore. And the question in Christ is never that we're not worthy. Is Christ not worthy after every single thing that he's done in his person and the accomplishment of his work? Is he not worthy to make us in himself, in a proper image. And that's the facts. So, Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word. And, Father, we're just asking, as you lead us and guide us in the truth, in the grace and truth that Christ is, that through this word and, and through the teaching that you have with us in this local assembly, and, and we just thank you and praise you for it, Father. Just bless us, and you will. We're only blessed when Christ is glorified in us and in our experience. And so, Father, thank you so much in Jesus' name. Amen.